setting sun his love endures forever and by the grace of God we will carry on his love endures forever sing praise sing praise sing praise sing praise forever God is faithful Who came for 
turn in your Bibles to Matthew 4, Matthew 4, 18. 
And then I also want you to turn over to Luke 15. So we're going to be in Matthew 4:18 real quick, read something, and then we're going to turn over to Luke 15, beginning at verse 4. Matthew 4:18. this is an account when Jesus calls Simon and Andrew to be his disciples. Uh, today, we are really going to be looking at, really focusing in on two words in particular. Two words that have changed my life, and I know two words that have changed many of your lives in here today. Matthew 4:18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. In the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In this passage, he calls Peter and Andrew, James and John, by saying two words, two words in particular. Did you pick those up? Follow me. Those are the same words that he uses when he comes to us. That's the same call that each and every Christian has on their life. Follow me. So we're faced with this call. Follow me. How do you respond to a call like that? If a stranger would come up to you and say, follow me, how would you respond? If a friend would come up to you and say, follow me, how would you respond? You'd likely have a question pop up in your mind, right? It's the answer to this question that will likely determine whether or not we choose to follow or not. What's that question? You know it. Where are you going, right? Where are you going? A lot of us want to follow Jesus, but I don't know how much thought that we give to asking the question of ourselves or of Jesus, well, where are you going? And isn't that the question that we really need to ask ourselves? Because the call to follow Jesus is a commitment. It's a serious commitment. It's a life-changing commitment. It's a life-altering commitment. Where is he going? Where he is going, if we follow him, will be where we go, right? Where we end up. So it's pretty important to ask that question. 20 years ago, I went into a shop and got my hair cut by this pretty girl. And after talking to her, I was just wowed by that conversation. Here's this beautiful person who seemed nice and and pleasant to talk to. The whole vibe that was being put off there was just great. And I just remember leaving the thought, leaving the shop, and I thought, man, this is somebody I could marry. I could see myself marrying this person. I had never thought that about somebody like that before. Here's the thing, though. I did not just go and ask her to marry me right then and there, right? (laughs) That would have been weird. Why? Because I didn't know her. I didn't know the direction she was heading. She could have been heading in a totally different direction than the one that I was, or in a direction that I did not want to go. So I called her up. I asked her out, hoping to find that out, those questions, right? I actually asked her out, and she said yes, and, and we, I think we agreed to go out, out on the weekend or something like that. And then I got off the phone, and I was like, man, I don't want to wait that long. So I called her back up <laughs> and uh, didn't scare her away. But I was like, can we get together sooner? And luckily she said yes, and we went out on some weeknight. Over time, I saw the direction she was heading, right? I saw the direction she was heading, and I liked it. We were on a a similar path, especially when it came to spirituality. 
right? Especially when it came to our faith. And that was of primary importance to me. When I asked her to marry me, I'm sure one of the questions that she asked, that she thought about was, what direction is this guy going, right? Where is he headed? Because if I commit myself to him, I want to make sure that we're both heading in the same direction. She said yes, and it's been one of the best blessings in my life, and it's been a blessing that we've continued to head in that same direction. We've been on the same page. The, the path is different, right? Nobody thought this was going to happen, but the direction has been the same to serve God, to serve Christ, right? And through the good and the bad, this is my lifelong partner that I'm blessed to have around me more than anyone else. Yeah, we made some humans to come with us, right? And they're a blessing as well. But my friends, that's the same question, though, that we all need to ask about Jesus Christ. That's if you haven't already decided to follow him. And maybe it's a reminder, though, that you need to ask yourself, am I truly following him? Okay, Jesus, I want I to get to know you more. I want to get to know you deeper and see the direction that you're heading. Where are we going to end up? When, when you come to know Christ, that should be one of the primary important questions that you ask. Where are we going to end up? What is this commitment going to be? Now, luckily for us, if you don't know this, uh, there's a chapter in the Bible that really gives a clear answer to that question, and it's in Luke chapter 15. So if you turn there, Luke chapter 15 contains three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost sons, or more commonly referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. Now, usually Jesus only shares one parable, and he uses that one parable to communicate a truth. And then sometimes he'll go on to another parable to communicate a different truth. Very rarely, in, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew, he'll use two parables to actually communicate the same truth. But there's only one time he uses three parables to communicate a singular truth. And I think that speaks to the importance of what we're going to read today. Three parables communicating the same basic truth. And what is communicated here is the answer to the question of where is Jesus going? Where is God headed? Who he is? It speaks to his heart. I'm going to read the first two parables in their entirety, and then I'm going to sum up the third one because it's longer and I've preached in the last year on it. Luke 15, beginning at verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together with his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus follows these two parables with the parable of the lost son, or the parable of the prodigal son. One father has two sons. One son wants his inheritance, right? Wants his inheritance now before his father dies. His father gives it to him. What does the son do? He takes it, right? And he goes and parties and squanders it away. He runs out of money. He comes to his senses. And he realizes that he was wrong. 
And so he determines, right, to go back to the father. Maybe my father will take me back. Maybe my father will take me back as a servant, as a worker. Not as a son, but maybe he'll just take him back. But while he is still a far way away on his way back to his father, his father sees him and runs to him, hugs him, and fully restores him to the point that the other brother gets jealous of the attention and the, the notice that the father gives to him. These are the three parables. And I, I want us to see what they have in common because there's some obvious things that anybody could pick out, right? First, in all three of these parables, there's something that's in the wrong place, right? There's something that's in the wrong place. There's something that's in the right place, and then there's a person who represents God. Now, the first parable of the lost sheep, in this parable, we have God represented by who? The shepherd, right? Something is in the wrong place, the lost sheep, and something in the right place, the 99 sheep, right? The 99 are with the shepherd where they're supposed to be. Second parable, we have God represented by a woman. There's a coin that's lost in the wrong place and nine coins that are where they should be in the right place. Third parable, God is represented by the father. There's one son in the wrong place and one son who's in the right place, but he's got the wrong attitude, right? He's got some things that he needs to work on. But physically, at least, he's next to the father. He's near the father. Now, what I want us to see, what, what's really important for us to learn is that we can see God's direction in this, right? In all three. Because which category gets God's main focus? Which category gets God's main attention? Story number one, the story of the shepherd. The shepherd's main focus is what's in the wrong place, right? The sheep. Even if that sheep is in the minority, he leaves the 99 sheep, right? In the wilderness. Isn't that crazy? He leaves the 99 in the wilderness. And I praise God that our shepherd is not like me because I probably would have thought that is an acceptable loss, right? Why take a chance leaving the 99 to go after the one? That's just typical what you would lose normally anyways, right? I was bound to lose one. I can't risk losing any more of these 99 while I go search for that one that was lost. But here's what we learned about the shepherd's heart, about God's heart. What we learn about Jesus is there is something in him that cannot stand the thought, right? Of that one sheep being lost, that one sheep that he loves being in the wilderness. So he leaves the 99, he leaves you, he leaves me, he leaves the church to go and seek the one that was lost. Amen? I say amen because I was at one time that one that was lost. And I praise God that he sought after me. Second parable, the attention of the woman. The woman is fully on that which is in the wrong place, the lost coin, right? She sweeps the house. She searches carefully. She lights the lamp, fully focused on finding and saving that lost coin, Third parable, the father's focus is on the lost son. How do we know that? Well, because when the son returns, the Bible says that while he was still far away, the father saw him. The father, in other words, was looking for him every single day, standing out there, praying, hoping that his son would return, that today might be the day. And when he finally saw him at a distance, right, he runs to him and welcomes him back. So, my friends, this is God's direction. This is at his heart. His attention is focused in on that which is lost. 
He's going to go after that lost sheep, the lost son, the lost coin. And here's the thing that I really want us to hear, the people in here to hear. While he heads in that direction, I believe he turns back and looks at you and me and says, follow me. Follow me in this endeavor, right? Follow me as we leave this building, as we leave this place, and let's go seek and save the lost. Amen? Man, that has challenged my life. That has flipped my life upside down when he said follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men right have you experienced that how are you doing with that follow me not only to church on Sunday that's a part of the deal right but follow me more than anything else to find another lost sheep Follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. This is the original version of of Christianity, my friends. It's different from what Christianity has become focused in on, on America all too often today. This is the original version, real Christianity. And when Jesus says, follow me to you and I, we have to ask ourselves, where are you going? This is our path, though. This is our direction. And if our direction as a church, if our direction as followers of Christ doesn't include this, it's not Christianity. Right? It's some kind of American spin on Christianity. It's not where Jesus is going. If our version of Christianity doesn't focus in on this, then that's when Christianity gets tedious. That's when Christianity doesn't make sense because we're not doing what we are called to do. But when you and I start responding to Jesus in this direction, that's when it gets exciting. You have no idea where he's going, right? You have no idea what's going to happen. You have no idea where it's going to take you. You just know that you're, you're looking for the lost, My friends, if you want to follow Jesus, if I'm going to follow Jesus, it's going to take us stepping out of our comfort zones. In American Christianity, you fight to stay in your comfort zone. In true Christianity, you step out. It's going to take boldness, right? It's going to be take laying down our pride. It's going to be us willing to talk to somebody, to reach out to somebody. It's going to take us following the leading of the Holy Spirit. No matter what it takes. If Christianity is boring, we're doing it wrong. If Christianity doesn't scare you, when the Holy Spirit says, go talk to that person, we're doing it wrong. We need to get back to the OG way, the original way. Man, I can look out here and think about people who two years ago were lost. I'm thinking about somebody in particular two years ago lost. I, I can think of somebody that was this year lost. But now they're found. They've been restored. They've been brought back. My friends, there's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than that. It's better than a paved parking lot, right? Far better than a paved parking lot. Man, and that happened because people were faithful. God laid something on our heart. God was doing a work and said, follow me in this endeavor, right? And let's go after those people. And they're restored. And they're brought back. Don't you want to be a part of that? You have to answer the call. You have to know where he's going. 
The call is to follow me. Let's go back to these two men that we read about initially. One of them was called Peter. I know you know Peter. Went on to follow Jesus, didn't he? Right? He did it well. But there came a point in his life when Jesus was arrested on the road to Calvary. On that road, Peter adjusted the way that he was following Jesus. Matthew 26, verse 58 says, And Peter was following him, Jesus, at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. At this point, Peter knows that the stakes are high, right? And the the cost is going to be great to following Jesus. And all of a sudden, Peter makes the mistake of starting to follow Jesus at a distance. He pulls back away from him. He had been following him right next to him, right up until this point. But when things got hard, he pulls back and starts following him at a distance. Technically, he's still following him, but now there's a distance between them. If you read on in this chapter, you see that people come up to him and say, don't you know this Jesus? And what's he say? I don't know this man. He denies knowing the Savior, right? He calls down curses upon him. He swears, right? No, I don't know this man. That's what happens when we start following Jesus at a distance. When we let comfort be our guide to how close we are to him. It changes everything. It, it focuses us, instead of being on Jesus, to money, to our time, to not being, not having to work hard, right? To being comfortable. It, it's ourselves, it's our security, it's our safety, it's our comfort. That takes the primary focus. Instead of when we're right next to Jesus, he is the focus. Saving the lost is the focus. When there's that distance, though, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, they take a back seat. You see, if these people would have come up to Peter and said, do you know Jesus? When he was right before this, when he was right next to him, he would have said, yeah, I know him. Let me introduce you to him, right? But here comes that distance. And now it's, I don't even know this man. It's all about his own goal, of his own comfort and security. It's about him trying to hold on to his life. That's what it's about. It's about him trying to hold on to his life because he's trying to save it himself. He's trying to save himself instead of trusting God to save him. Praise God after the resurrection, though, he's fully restored, right? And he comes back to following Jesus up close, right next to him. It becomes again about other people. He, he again becomes about the original version of Christianity, right? He preaches boldly to the lost, not worrying about saving his own life. No, he'll preach Christ no matter what. My friends, what version of Christianity are you following? Here's what I know. The answer will depend on how close you follow him. The answer will depend on how close you're following him. If it's at a distance, you're going to be focused in on yourself. You're going to have to trust in yourself. It's going to be about comfort. If you're right next to him, though, you'll be focused in on others. Others ahead of yourself. I want to end with a couple stories from the Titanic. You know the story of the Titanic, right? Hopefully kids are still taught that. Largest man-made creation at its time. Said to be unsinkable. 2,021 passengers. 2,201 passengers, I think. It was on its maiden voyage crossing the Atlantic, right? In the, in the middle of the night, it hits an iceberg. It collides with an iceberg, and it starts to sink. Now, it took a while for that to happen. 
three hours before it completely disappeared. Plenty of time for the lifeboats to be lowered down into the ocean. For the first hour, though, something strange happened. The lifeboats that were lowered to the ocean only at best were half full. They, they could seat 70, and the documents show that the first lifeboats in that first hour that were lowered only had between 12 and 30 people in them. So that meant when the boat went down all over the ocean, right, there's all these lifeboats that are not even half full. And here we know that there were hundreds of people that were in the water fighting for their life and screaming for help. Picture it. Lifeboats with plenty of capacity rowing away from the disaster, rowing away from people crying out for help. Somehow, people managed to block out that, to block out those cries for help and to continue to row away, even though they had plenty of room. How, how does that happen? Why does that happen? I think it, it comes from the fact that sometimes we're just content with the notion that we've been saved. I'm okay. My family's okay. I'm not going to worry about those other people. I'm not going to bring my family back into harm's way, right? They were safe. There's only one boat that was recorded to come back. There's only one boat that came back to help the people in the water. When I heard that, I thought, man, that's a version of Christianity today. Unfortunately, a version where we're content that we're saved, but there are people all around us drowning, right? We have the capacity, we have the ability to speak out, to say something, but we have to risk our comfort. We have to risk our safety to go back and speak to them, to talk to them, to save them. And all too often, we're just stuck on, we've made it, we're safe, we're okay, somebody else will go back. One of these other boats will go back, and I'm sure they'll talk to him. That's a version of Christianity that has to die, right? That, that's not the version of Christianity that we see in the Bible. We don't roll away from disasters time and time again. Oh, sometimes we'll throw money at things, right, when we see it. We'll give half efforts, but do we really go after the lost? Do we really? That's, that's what we all need to think about. You, you may think I'm being too harsh, right? But in 2021, did you witness to anybody? I mean, did you give somebody the gospel message? Did you go after somebody that you have no idea how you're going to help them out? They are lost, but man, I'm going to do whatever it takes to help them out. I imagine that if I asked people to raise their hands, not too many people would raise their hands that they did. I'm sure there's some in here that have done it. Some who have spoke to your friends, to your family members, to that neighbor, right, and told them about Jesus Christ, but I'm willing to bet that the majority in here have not. That can't be how we do Christianity. That can't be how we follow Jesus Christ. That's one version of Christianity. Let me tell you about another. There was a man on board of this ship named John Harper. John Harper, 39-year-old Scottish evangelist. He was on board heading to Chicago where he was going to preach to people. With him on the trip, he had the apple of his eye, his daughter Annie, just six years old. John and Annie were among the first to realize that something was going on, going on, and so they got to the lifeboats. We know this because Annie is registered in one of the very first lifeboats to be put into the water. She's one of the very first passengers, and people testify 
that John and Annie came to that boat. They said, John came with his daughter, held her for a few seconds, kissed her forehead, and said, I'll see you in a little bit. And he said, honey, I love you so much. And he put her in that lifeboat, made sure that she was okay with some of the other people in there, and the lifeboat was lowered. John then started running around, knocking on cabin doors, calling out for women and children and people that don't know Jesus Christ. Get to the lifeboats. Women and children and people that don't know Jesus, get to the lifeboats. They were his priority. Not the Christians, right? The people that didn't know Jesus Christ. The the people that did know Christ, no matter what would happen, they would be eternally saved. The people that didn't, though, they were in harm's way. They risked dying without knowing their Lord and Savior. They risked being separated for eternity from God, separated from his goodness. So he went after the lost sheep. All around him, lifeboats were being lowered, and at any time, he could have jumped into one of those boats He could have saved himself. Nobody would have blamed him, right? But he kept on knocking on doors. He kept on seeking the lost. He kept on calling out for people. John Harper ended up being one of the people in the water that night. Realizing that he was in the water, seeing the lifeboats rowing away, seeing other people in the water beside him and knowing what was going to happen. He changed his call. He changed his cry. And at the top of the light, at the top of his lungs, he cried out, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus that you may be saved. Countless testimonies say that they heard his cries above all the other cries there was a male voice crying out these words and god only knows how many people heard them and heeded that cry and took that in and gave god their hearts before they faced eternity about a year later after this disaster there was a reunion for titanic survivors The first person to come up and give his testimony was a young man named William John Meadows. He was only 19 at the time. He was one of the hundreds that ended up in the water that night. And he said, I still remember holding on to that piece of debris, trying to make it, but realizing that my life was going to be over before I even had a chance to really live it. But he said, a current brought him close to a man named John Harper. And this man looked at the 19-year-old and shouted shouted to him, Do you know Jesus? William was not really prepared for that question and didn't really know how to respond in that moment, especially with everything that was going on. John Harper called out to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus that you may be saved. The currents then separated the two. William was trying to process this, right? And a few minutes later, the currents brought them back together. And John Harper cried out again, Do you know Jesus? And William responded, No, sir, I do not. And John responded, Believe in the Lord Jesus that you may be saved. That was the last account that we have of John Harper. But William said he gave his life to Jesus right there in the water. Minutes later, William was picked up by the only boat that returned. That was his testimony that he shared at that reunion. He said, I was saved twice. Two versions of Christianity, right? In one version, we're in half-full lifeboats, rowing away, content that we've been saved. We're okay. Our families are okay. 
And we consider our comfort and safety above all else. Following Jesus at a distance, right? Focusing in on the 99 instead of the one. Instead of being willing to go after that one lost sheep. Instead of being willing to search for that one lost coin. Instead of being willing to accept that one lost son back and see them restored, right? Not realizing the whole time that we're really still lost. That's one version. The other version looks like John Harper, right? Following Jesus so close that he's willing to lay down his life to go after the lost sheep, to search for the lost coin, to accept back the lost son, even at his own expense, right? He had so much to live for. 39 years old, a six-year-old daughter. He could have stayed on that boat. But he went after the lost, Yesterday, we celebrated that Christ came down, right? The original version of Christianity. Yesterday, we celebrated Emmanuel, God with us. My daughter gave me a plaque with John 3.17 on it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, right? But to save it through him. Christ came down down. He lived for us. He went after the lost, didn't he? Time and time again, didn't he? Go after the lost. He served us. He led us. And he died for us so that we didn't have to remain lost. And my friends, he calls out to us today and says, follow me. How do you answer that? That's what I want you to think about as you go out of here. How do you answer that call? That's the path. That's the path Christ takes. That's the direction he takes. And when he says, follow me, you have to determine whether or not you will. You have to determine how close you'll follow him. Will you follow him at a distance? And keep everything comfortable. Or you follow him right next to him. No matter what it takes. No matter what he calls you to do. No matter what he calls you to give up. No matter what sacrifice he calls you to make. I pray you do. And I pray those times when you let that distance creep in. Like I've done so many times you're reminded to get back next to him, right? Get back next to him. What is he asking of you? Who has he put into your life? Your neighbors, your family, your friends at work, right? Nancy said, prayed for the kids that they'd all realize they're missionaries. You are all missionaries. We are all, right? We're all missionaries. We should all be going after the lost. Today, determine how you follow him. Determine whether you'll follow him. Amen? I'm going to pray. I pray you work this out this week, today. I pray you work it out right now and make a commitment one way or the other. I'm sorry, I'm not going to. That's your choice. Or, Father, I'll follow you with everything that I have. You lead, I'll follow. Lord, we thank you for today, Lord. Father, I pray that you would speak to every one of us in here those two words. Follow me. And I pray that every one of us would make a conscious choice whether or not to do that. To accept it or to reject it. Father, I pray that we'd all accept it and I pray that we would all follow you closely. That we wouldn't let anything get in the way. Our comfort, our reputation, what people think of us, money, time, hobbies, whatever it is. 
Lord, don't let anything get in the way. Father, will you give us opportunities to share the good news with those that are lost? Would you put somebody in our path? Would you allow us to have a conversation with them and present that good news, whether they accept it or not? Lord, just give us that opportunity. Lord, we love you, and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen.